Oh, the bass is thumping and we're ready. That means it's time for another DLC. And wherever you are, whenever you are, and however you happen to be listening, oh, we're so glad you've chosen to tune in to DLC. If you're using this as your motivation for a run or a workout, we're so excited. Are you one of our geeks and sneaks? You can do it. We're going to be with you for 90 plus minutes of gaming goodness because DLC is your downloadable commentary for the week. DLC delivered the way it's meant to be. And that's completely free, thanks to our sponsor this week, Linda. Oh, Linda! They made that possible, bringing DLC to you. DLC, of course, the show all about gaming in its many forms. Games played on desktops, laptops, and consoles. And also games that involve dice, luck, and cardboard. I'm your host, Jeff Kanata. That's spelled with two N's and one T. And I'm joined, as always, by my friend slash co-host slash nemesis... The guy who has yet to score a single goal in the World Cup final, let alone three, Mr. Christian Spicer. Hey, Christian. I was, I was robbed. I was really close. I got naked. I ran out onto the field. I kicked a that's sure shot. The, that's not how you do it. You know, that's not that's not the that's, usual process is to first get naked and run out on the field. <laughs> well, you know I figured, right? you know, I, 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 it felt right. So, so sue me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Did you have a good fourth? Yeah, it was good. It was very relaxing. Uh, we went to a parade with the little ones, and uh, I don't know. It's all a blur, dude. It's, with an infinite, it's all a blur. I saw you had some America going on, and hopefully you had a fun one. Yeah, it was a good time. Uh, but we are back in it, uh, talking video games, back with another DLC. And, uh, you know, everybody always asks me, what does DLC stand for? Of course, it's your downloadable Kanata. It's your downloadable Christian. But this week, we're excited because DLC stands for designing listenable chaos because we have one of the guys responsible for creating the incredible soundscapes that make up the worlds of uncharted and the last of us we have the senior sound designer at naughty dog our friend mr robert Kreckel. hey rob hey guys oh, i'm so excited to be here i freaking love dlc and i'm very honored to have my own now uh dlc that is just for me <laughs> yes, indeed. Um, we're excited to have you, man. Been wanting to have you on for a while. Um, you are, as I said, the senior sound designer for Naughty Dog. Before we get to any other part of the show, what is that job? I'm, I, I'm curious. <laughs> I think a lot of people misunderstand what a sound designer does on a video game because, you know, you have to create and uh, design all the sounds. But what goes into what is your day to day job activity? Oh man, day to day is is extremely uh, varied. So uh, just the other day, we were actually out uh, recording a, a bullwhip uh, cracks out in the in the wilderness and in a foley stage, as well as like out in the parking lot. And we're basically using those those whip cracks for various things, like elements of punches or. Um, the actual reflections might be used as a impulse response for reverb, or um, it's kind of a weird. A, a weird job because that's one day and then the next day is is actually sitting down and and you know designing sounds designing the the worlds that uh that drake and and uh the other characters inhabit uh and then you know another day is going out and recording a, a jeep for uh i'm sure you guys have all seen the uh, e3 demo by now uh that sure. jeep was freshly recorded and mixed and mastered and then uh, implemented so that uh you know, it responds the way you'd expect to the player. So, yeah, it's a it's a pretty interesting job. There's there's lots of uh, different things to do day to day. So what I imagine there's a lot of Jeeps that have been recorded audibly in the history of filmmaking and video game making. Why do you guys have to go out and record your own Jeep? 
that's a good question. And it's because of the way video games work, right? Like most Jeeps that have been recorded ever, most, not all, but uh, have been recorded probably for a film. And so they're recorded in a way that makes sense for film. So drive-bys or, or uh, you know, incoming and outgoing and stopping and that sort of thing. And it's sort of based on like looking at it from afar versus um, in a video game where a player has control over it. So we have to record it in a very specific way where we're recording it so that we can basically slice up the cycles of the engine and recombine them uh, dynamically based on like how much gas is the player giving, how much brake is the player giving, is it onload, is it offload? We have to record it in a very specific way in order to like have the information that the game gives us from the player uh, play back through the speakers what you'd expect. It's an incredible job when you compare it to being some sort of sound engineer on a on a film because as you're as you're describing you have all of the information in the film of where the camera sits where the listener is supposed to be but in a video game you don't know moment to moment where the player is going to be necessarily and all of that information has to be there if they go into one little corner of the world it's got to be correct you know the audio has to be correct right so you're you're building a world of sound just like the level designers are building a world of visuals, right? Very, very much so. Yeah. I mean, we have to build up every nook and cranny, uh, you know, with sound that makes sense. Uh, so we don't break, you know, uh, the immersion uh, of the player. And, uh, you know, really, uh, I think sound is, is almost best when you don't notice it. Uh, you know, there are moments, right, when it's, it's cool to have awesome sound that shines. But I think it, the, the real accomplishment comes when everything just sort of feels right. And uh, and you don't really question it. So me in every episode of DLC, me going, damn it, Nate, you haven't used any of those yet. (laughs) Are you doing that in every episode? I do that in every episode. Sometimes you have to, you know, string it together. I don't want to make Rob's job too easy. So sometimes I say like, (laughs) dang. And then sometimes I say I was playing with the catcher's mitt. Um, It's all there, though. You just got to stitch it together. Yeah. Yeah. I think Richard might be a, a little upset if we redubbed in somebody else. No, no, no. We talk. We're cool. <laughs> <laughs> I have another question based on something you said. So you, you were recording a whip cracking, not because there's a whip in the game, but because yep. you want to use an element of that sound. Now, how do you know that a whip crack is the sound you need to, to make a better punch? Like what, what goes into that decision? Like, should we use a whip crack? Should we use a breaking crate? Should we, should we throw glass against the wall? Like how do you compose sounds out of other sounds? <laughs> uh, well, the whip in particular is more of like an homage to Indiana Jones. I mean, the whole game is sort of an homage to, to Indy in a way. And, um, you know, Ben Burt, the, the famous sound designer who worked on star Wars and Indiana Jones, among many other, uh, amazingly sounding films. Um, you know, he used a whip crap as an element to the punches in indie. And so, uh, you know, my buddy and I here, we're very nerdy when it comes to sounds and we like dissecting sounds and figuring out how things were done. And so oftentimes we like to try to recreate things or, uh, or record them on our own and see what, you know, what magic kind of comes out of it. And, uh, you know, we, we had the intention of recording this whip for punch elements, but it ended up while we were recording it as a happy accident, we were doing it outside and, and the, the reverb, of the space, the echo, if you will, of the, of the space we were in was really, really cool. And there's this process called convolution that allows you to use sort of an impulse. Um, and a whip crack is sort of a perfect impulse because it's a, it's a small sonic boom. 
Uh, and it allows you to take the way the whip crack sounded in a space and apply it to like another sound, like a voice or a gunshot. And then all of a sudden that voice or that gunshot sounds like it's in the same place that the whip was cracked. And so mm-hmm. that, that was like our happy accident. And it, it actually, it's going to sound really cool. Uh, once we're, once we're done with it. That's awesome. Uh, there's a, there's a cool question here in the, in the chat room from, uh, Tondagosa who says, uh, what's the weirdest thing you've ever used to create a sound? Oh man. So many weird things. Uh, <laughs> um, probably dog food, maybe dog food, a can of dog <laughs> food in particular Alpo. Um, there's just some, there's some kind of weird quality. And this was not for uncharted. This was uh, way back when I worked uh, at SOE for a creature. There's some kind of weird, uh, quality of a can and the sort of sucking sound as you turn it upside down and the dog food falls out. Uh, it's pretty disgusting, but it, it works pretty well for, uh, for like weird creature vocalizations. That's pretty awesome. That sounds crazy. I, I just sounds like a fascinating job to me. Um, uh, also, you know, this week, last week, my, my story of the week was talking about how everybody should have, should take a look at the extended E3 trailer for uncharted four, which came out this week. Uh, and I hope people have checked it out. I, I understand if people want to remain unsullied and not see it. Uh, I give you a thumbs up, but boy, is it ever impressive. Can you talk a little bit about what in, what went into making that trailer on your end? I mean, how we see this incredible run of, uh, you know, this Jeep chase that leads into this other incredible chase, but something you were talking to me about at E3 was that there's a lot of dynamic elements happening in that trailer. There's a lot of of choices that you can make. Can you talk a little bit about that? Oh yeah. I mean, uh, kind of goes back to the point we, we were talking about before we're building out worlds and, and that whole chase sequence, um, though it was played similarly each time is like, it's wide linear, right? That's sort of what we're doing now. And there, we have to build out sound for all of those destructible things that you could possibly ram into with the Jeep. So no matter which path you take with the Jeep, uh, the stuff that Drake, runs into or not needs to be able to make sound and there's just i mean you guys if you've seen the video if not there's just market tables and baskets and fruit and and pottery and and uh, all sorts of just detritus that you can uh interact with in the jeep and we had to make sounds for every single uh thing there Uh, a big thing for us um you know my audio director of Phil Kovats and I are really detail focused. Um, that's sort of what next gen audio is for us. It's, it's just bringing another level of detail. So everything just sounds like it should and, uh, and, and feels right. And so we really spent a ton of time just, just focusing in on all the small little details that you could possibly interact with during that sequence. It's so amazing, man. I, and it's one of those jobs where the better you do it, the less people notice it, right? Cause it just seems like the way it should be. That's yeah. It's pretty crazy. Yeah. All right. Fascinating stuff. Uh, we're excited to have you on for the whole show and we will uh, get right to our uh, opening segment, which is story of the week. Story of the week. It's the story of the week. Story of the week. It's the story of the week. Story of the week is the part of the show where we uh, make our case for the most important stories that happened in the world of games this week. And you can always submit stories for our consideration using our hashtag, that's DLC, excuse me, that's D-L-C-S-O-T-W for Story of the Week, or by using our subreddit over at 5x5dlc.reddit.com. Also, we're doing something new this week. Uh, I talked about incorporating more 
direct listener correspondence into DLC, and we had some great response over at our Gmail account. That's uh, dlcfeedback at gmail.com. And we're going to incorporate some of your comments, some of the emails we got right into Story of the Week, and we're also going to do a Q&A section. So continue to send in your comments if you know about a story that's big in the coming week and you want to have some input into our discussion. You can always send that to dlcfeedback at gmail.com. All right, Rob, you are our guest, so you get first pick of stories. What do you consider your Story of the Week? You know, uh, I'm split between two things, something that I really, really want to happen. And another thing that I, I really hope is sort of renaissance. I'll, I'll, I'll go with uh, the Nintendo NX uh, coming soon. Um, I, I Basically, I guess the story is that there's rumor that uh, the Taiwanese supplier Foxconn uh, has been given a go ahead for pilot production on uh, the NX. And I'm I'm really excited uh, about NX because I just want it. It's it's the same excitement I get about every Nintendo console. I want it to be so much more than it's probably going to be. Um, I want it to like bring bring me back to my love for Nintendo in the late eighties, early nineties. That like they were just they could not be stopped. They could not be topped. Uh, and I just I every time a new console get announced from them, I, I really hope that that sort of brings them back to that. Yeah, it's it's the rumor is that because this this timetable of gearing up for a uh, a pilot program is happening now, that Nintendo may be launching the NX, which is the codename for the next console, as early as next July. So one year from today, we may be thinking about buying a new Nintendo console. Now, of course, the Wii U has been, by all accounts, pretty underwhelming in terms of sales. It has not. Uh, performed the way Nintendo expected it to. So what do you guys think about moving on to a new console this quickly? Rob, sounds like you're ready to do it. Do you have a Wii U? Uh, you know, the Wii U is the first Nintendo console, uh, aside from their handhelds, that I did not purchase. Hmm. Uh, and it makes me sad. Oh, you're ready. <laughs> it, makes me, it makes me really sad. So yes, I am definitely ready. Christian, what's your take on uh, NX maybe coming out a year from now? It's 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 a difficult thing to wrap your head around, I think, because part of me, the Rob in me, uh, is excited and gets excited about you know this Nintendo, this image of Nintendo that I perhaps unfairly have created of them or for them based on their past successes and what I want them to be, and if I ruled the world, what I would have the company be. Um, and then there's the you know, what have you done for me lately? Maybe that's the Christian in me <laughs> uh, <laughs> that, that, that kind of looks at their track record and, and what they've done recently. And, you know, kind of my long stated belief on this show that um, many of Nintendo's successes, aside from their games, um, are happy accidents in terms of console space and successes they've had and whatever, whatever. Um, but I think if you're a fan of the company, it's hard not to root for something awesome coming out soon. I think if you just recently purchased a Wii U, it's kind of hard to be too upset that a new system might be coming out soon because at this point, anyone buying a Wii U is kind of going in with the full knowledge that this thing isn't going to be the console leader of this generation, right? You're buying, like when I bought mine, I bought it because there were six games that I wanted to play that were awesome games and that justified the purchase to me. So, I mean, I feel like it, this isn't like uh, you, you bought an iPhone 1, the 4 gig iPhone 1 on launch day, and then what, three months later, they discontinued that model and dropped the price? Like, we're not in that territory. So I think it's all good. I, I hope 
that the NX is awesome and amazing. Um, and it is everything that everyone wants it to be. I mean, Jeff, are you, I feel like you have to be excited about this because you get excited about, I could just put, uh, you know, throw some electronics together, put tape on it and call it new and shiny. And I think you might buy it. Wait, can I pre-order it? <laughs> it was well, VR. So yeah. <laughs> oh, good, good, good. No, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not that gullible. I, you know, I, I find it odd. I guess it makes sense if they're, you know, if they didn't get what they wanted out of Wii U as far as um, consumer uh, reaction and consumer acceptance of that console. I, I guess it's smart to move on and, and just push forward and try to create something new. I'm worried that this thing is is going to exist in this weird nether space of where does it fit technologically among the consoles that are already out and the console that it has that's already out. I mean, is this thing going to be much more powerful than than the Wii U was? Is it... I think it definitely explains E3 from Nintendo's perspective as far as how few things were announced and shown for uh, the Wii U. It, it, it feels like, yeah, we're, we're not showing Zelda because it's not going to be that anymore. It's going to be this thing for this new console. And so forget all the stuff we showed you before because it's going to be different now. We're, we're updating it for this new console. And probably every other game that wasn't close to being done like you know Yoshi and and some of those other games in Mario Maker every other game was now pushed to this new place if it's really going to be that soon uh, it's it's an interesting strategic position we got a really cool email about this uh from a listener Nick who has some ideas about what the NX could be I'd love to hear what you guys think about his ideas and maybe what your ideas for what you would want out of an, a, a next Nintendo console. But he sees a lot of potential with Nintendo putting out a, an NX that he looks at as the first all digital console. So his vision for what NX would be is that it scraps a physical medium entirely. It's all digital distribute uh, distributed and that it is really just the gamepad. It's kind of the Wii U gamepad as a console with a simple little dongle that plugs into your TV to stream 1080p video to your television, but the console itself is indistinguishable from a handheld, and it becomes both Nintendo's new handheld and their new console, and that you could plug it into your TV using the dongle and, and play games like you would on Wii U, either on the television or on the pad, but you could also take it with you and it's completely portable so it doesn't actually need a physical console to, to work. And his idea, his concept for this is that it's backwards compatible at launch with Wii U so that you have all these Wii U titles so that people like Rob who skipped this generation have access to the great uh, games that were on Wii U and that uh, 3DS and new 3DS games are also compatible with it and that uh, it's got enough horsepower to be both the new big console and the new handheld console at the same time and it's all downloadable if you had a physical copy of a Wii U game you get credit to be able to download the the digital version onto this new console what do you guys make of that uh that concept for NX do you think that's a compelling idea what do you think Rob I mean that's certainly an idea that's been floated around a lot before um I I I have a hard time believing you're going to get like a a comparable uh, gameplay experience or visual fidelity experience from a handheld at this point. Um, I don't know that you're going to get like 1080 60 out of a handheld right. streamed over a dongle. Um, 
that being said, I think it's a cool idea. Like, uh, you know, there was there was like a very uh, kind of crappy Neo Geo knockoff uh, or not knockoff. It was like a real deal, but it got pulled from shelves a while ago. That was actually a handheld, which you like plugged into a uh, a base station, which then fed it HDMI out to your television. And that's sort of the idea of this. And um, I wonder about battery life for something like that. You know, how portable is it actually? Because we all know, like, the Wii gamepad is is not. <laughs> uh, its battery life is pretty poor. Um, I don't know, man. I don't know. It's hard to it's hard to say. What do you think, Christian? Do you think that the, the whatever the NX is, it needs to compete with PS4 and Xbox One in terms of power? Or do you think it needs to create its own world like uh, listener Nick is talking about and uh, kind of creating this hybrid portable space? It depends what it wants to be or what Nintendo wants it to be or if they know what they want it to be. If they want easy third-party games on their system, it needs to be power or graphically fidelity-wise comparable with the Xbox One and the PS4. Um, If they don't care about that and it's just going to be the Nintendo machine or it's so unique or so widespread, right, that's the other way that you get third-party games is that everybody has it, like the 3DS, um, those aren't ports from the Xbox 360 or whatever. Those are unique games for that system made by third parties. Um, it needs to be a really big seller. I don't know if they can pull off those huge of numbers. I do think a handheld slash home system consolidated approach is a is a smart way to go. I mean, for instance, with this last gen or this current gen where you have Smash for 3DS and Smash for Wii U, imagine if there was one console that, that was both of those things and you only bought one copy of smash and it was both of those you had it forever i think that console would have been a much bigger seller and you know obviously the game would have sold gangbusters i think rob brought up the most of the problems that this idea currently has is the graphical fidelity being able to be streamed at a competent frame rate um also the battery life and then i don't think nintendo is um future looking enough in terms of the digital age to go the PSP go route and have it be, you know, downloadable only. Uh, I think they keep showing their ties to Best Buy for whatever reason. They uh, really still believe in Best Buy. It seems like every product launch or demo station, they have a Best Buy kiosk that they tout. That's where the world championships were. I think they believe in physical media of some form or fashion. And I, I would not expect Nintendo to give me credit for disc-based games that I currently own. I mean, it's, it's great, right? That's like, that's the dream somehow. Um, but I wouldn't expect that from them. I think what this shows, though, is that pretty much every gamer roots for Nintendo. The problem is mm-hmm. every gamer has a different opinion of what Nintendo succeeding is. And that might be Nintendo's biggest hurdle to overcome is what are we to the most people and how do we make them happy while still doing what we want to do. I mean, Jeff, is this something that you would take with you if it was this this hybrid portable handheld uh, home system? Does this, you know, reinvigorate you for Nintendo? And would this be a thing that you would carry in your satchel with you when you went places? It's not really my solution looking for a problem. You know what I mean? I, I feel like it, I don't I don't have that use case that I'm looking to, to solve as far as, oh, man, wouldn't it be great if I could just take Mario Kart from the Wii U with me as I go. I mean, that's kind of cool, but it's, that's just not how I game generally. Um, so I'm much more interested in them coming out with a console that can play with the big boys power wise, because that's kind of what 
gets me excited is is the pushing forward technologically. Um, some interesting comments in the chat, though. Uh, Wizard of Video Game said, if it had actual NES, NES, N64 cartridge ports, people might pass out. <laughs> I think that's a funny idea. Yeah, from um, carrying the weight of the thing. <laughs> <laughs> right. And a lot of people are talking about Amiibo. You know, certainly Amiibo is the bright spot for Nintendo right now. Um, you know, maybe they'll just have the con- – it, it's a console – but there's like 50 different varieties of the console that are shaped like different Mario characters. So you can buy the console <laughs> in so many different varieties. <laughs> um, anyway, it, it's going to be interesting. If it's really on this kind of a pace to come out that fast, I think we're going to start to get a lot of information very quickly. And in fact, I would have, I'm surprised that they didn't have more uh, information at E3. Although Nintendo's on a new kind of calendar now. They, they have these Nintendo Directs, so they're not tied to any kind of specific industry events to get news out. So they can announce things whenever they want. It'll be interesting. It's going to be interesting. Uh, Christian, what is your story of the week? So it's another rumor. Rumor Patrol. Uh, it, there's a, a thread burning up the charts over on NeoGAF about it, but the rumor is that the... Well, Warner Brother Games Montreal, they did uh, Arkham Origins. They were the developer behind that. And also, I believe they're the developers of the upcoming Batgirl DLC for um, Arkham Knight. But the rumor is that they are working on a Superman game. And there's a air quote screenshot and off screen video of that same basic character screen, which, you know, it has a 3D model of Superman and then it says his name and it says some of his stats and uh, people talking on NeoGAF and I think kind of the first thought is this character type of character screen looks a little too much um, information givey to be a Superman game. Like, why are you telling me his weakness is kryptonite? Um, his name is Kal-El. It, it seems more like something that would be found in a JLA, a Justice League game, or a fighter where you have a bunch of characters. But the main reason I bring it up and what makes it fun is in Arkham Knight, there are little teases of a larger world, right? They The teasers to... References to kind of Flash existing, Superman existing, all this kind of background chatter you can pick up. Um, that I think is cool because it makes the world more real and lived in. But I I love trying to pitch the perfect Superman game. So I ask you, Rob, and you, Jeff, if you were working on this game and it was real, how do you do it? How do you make Superman, Rob, we'll start with you. How do you make Superman the game work? What is it? Uh uh well it you starts definitely... with sound right rob <laughs> <laughs> yes uh the speed of sound no um i i this was almost my story of the week because i would just be excited for a arkham like superman game so i think you keep some semblance of that flow combat i think that's building block number one uh i think that the hardest part of this is the story and and giving him like a problem but Hire Max, Land- <laughs> Hire Max Landis. Uh, he's got some pretty awesome Star uh, Superman ideas. Uh, so maybe he would be able to come up with some good uh, motivation for him in a game. I have Jeff? the perfect pitch, guys. I have the perfect pitch. You ready for this? Mm-hmm. This is the perfect Superman game. You ready? Yeah. You take the Just Cause 3 engine and you take out all the guns. You skin it with a far-off, futuristic sci-fi planet that Superman is going to fight Brainiac on, 
and you have the exact same destructibility and chaos and playground, except you can fly. You don't have to hop on a jet like in Just Cause. You can just fly anywhere you want. You map uh, laser eyes to right trigger, freeze breath to left trigger. You got your X button, your A button jumps, and then hold it down. You fly, and you fly as long as you want. Punch, 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 breaking stuff. There's no guns in the game. You are a, you are just this giant playground, beating up bad guys, taking down big amounts of this alien, futuristic sci-fi world. I'll buy that in a heartbeat. Give it to me now. So there's that. But so the, how you're solving the problem is you're getting him onto an alien planet where these bad guys are suddenly, for some reason, powerful enough to fight yep. him, or he's far enough away from the sun that he is a little bit weaker. Yes, it's not Earth. It's I want to have destructibility of environments. I don't want to have to worry about the uh, Man of Steel problem of destroying Metropolis. I don't want this game to be set in Metropolis. I don't want it even to be set on Earth. I want Superman to be going to some far-flung, crazy, awesome sci-fi, sort of gleaming silver white world. Where his uh, dad flies on a dragon? Yeah, that world, except his dad's <laughs> not there. Um, you know, and it's not Krypton, but it's, you know, it's some crazy, cool sci-fi planet where there's crazy aliens and uh, but I'm able to destroy everything because I'm supremely awesome and overpowered, and it just makes me—it's like just cause. It makes me feel overpowered all the time, like Superman is. Okay, I—I I, I may have mentioned this before. My well, one, I think if you looked at the screenshot, I, I, my guess as to what that is is that it's an iOS game coming out around the time of uh, Batman versus Superman. Just a, a guess, kind of one of those brawl like, fighting games they've been doing. Just a guess. If it's anything at all, but my Superman game, you are, and they've done this kind of before, but what I think makes Superman interesting is that he can't be everywhere at once. And I want a real open world, not an open city, um, which I know is I'm asking a lot, but then it's, he can hear things everywhere. So as you choose to save a school bus full of kids from going into a river, a bank is being robbed. And it's this it's this game of it's kind of like go to some extent and the you know, it, it's a power struggle between Lex Luthor or whomever and what he's able to take over in the city and what you're able to um, solve and help and how you're helping people and then morale within the city. It's and you just have, a game that constantly makes you feel terrible. It's like, yeah, yeah, you stopped the bank robbery, but that school bus of children fell off a cliff. Sorry, yes, bud. that's Sorry, how you dude. defeat Superman. Sorry, Superman. That you, you make, make him, him feel terrible. Yes, you make him quit. You can't beat him physically. You need to ruin him emotionally. Do you watch Scandal? You need to wreck people. That's the <laughs> Superman game. That's the I super- think that game is uh, is Rob Kreckle's worst nightmare because it's like this massive cacophony of sounds that you have to focus in <laughs> on one to live with your super hearing. Well, in, in a way, that's already Arkham Knight, right? You, you drive around <laughs> yeah. that city and it's just constantly yelling at you. So. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. Jeff, what's your story of the week? I'm going with a board game story of the week, which I don't do very often, but this was a big week in board games because the most prestigious award in all of board gaming was awarded this week. It's the Spiel des Jahres, which is a German board gaming award that's been around decades, and the Germans are the people that sort of started designer board games, which are the the board games that I like the most. And uh, this is this is a huge, huge award among the board gaming community. Having the Spiel des Jahres on your box automatically sells many more copies than it would normally. And uh, they they have three they have a breakdown of three different divisions for the Spiel des Jahres. 
There's the the regular main award, the Spiel des Jahres, which, which means Game of the Year. And there's the Kennerspiel and the Kinderspiel. Kennerspiel is is more sort of gamer games. They're they're more complicated. They're a little more intense uh, games for enthusiasts. And then the Kinderspiel is is for kids. Um, but in the last, I don't know, five or six years, the the main Spiel des Jahres has been definitely focused on more um, gateway games, more games that are that are playable for a much wider audience of people. They're not those really intense, uh, very, you know, demanding, huge uh, rule book games. That's usually more reserved for the Kennerspiel. So anyway, so the uh, they don't nominate very many games. There's usually only a, a handful of nominees. And this year the nominees were Machi Koro, uh, a game called The Game, which is a bizarre nominee in my opinion, a very dry number card game. Um, Good movie, and though. then the wi- hmm? Good movie. Yeah, it's a game where they take you and they drop you in the middle of the desert, and you have to find <laughs> your way home. Um, and then the winner, which was just announced, is a game called Colt Express, which is just delightful. So the idea of this game is uh, it's a fully three dimensional. You put it together like uh, almost like Lego, but it's all made out of cardboard and you know punch cards. And you put it together, this train, it's a full-on multi-car train car that uh, you have little people in, and they can be inside the train or on top of the train, and you're doing like a cool Western movie train heist, uh, where you're planning your moves of your guys, you're trying to swipe the the loot that's in the train there's it's transporting diamonds and gold and you're trying to grab them and not get caught by the by the sheriff and then take your take your loot to different parts of the train by jumping on the top and and it's all sort of programmable movement so everybody puts down their moves uh, in sequence without knowing what everybody else is putting down and then you flip them all over and then you see what happens and you can like punch people and knock them off the train and it's just delightful and amazing and uh, i think a really cool winner for the game for the award because it's uh, such a unique and visually stunning game i mean it's it's really unlike anything else you've ever seen in a board game because it looks more like one of those 3d jigsaw puzzles that than than a board game uh, but it plays like a board game so it's uh, it's actually kind of like a, a mix between a miniatures game <laughs> and a and a designer board game uh, so that's colt express the winner of the uh, 2015 Spiel des Jahres. The, uh, the Kenner Spiel, which is the war that I'm usually most interested in because it's really more games that I want to play, uh, is a bizarre choice in my opinion. I have not played this game. It's called Broom Service, and it's a pick-up-and-deliver uh, game where you play as witches and wizards, and you're carrying around potions and magic wands and stuff and delivering them to places. And there's a lot of bluffing involved from what I can read, but... I haven't tried it. Uh, it's a it's a reimagining of an older game, but it beat out Orléans and uh, Elysium, which were the other nominees in the Kinnerspiel category. So that uh, that's my you just, story of the you week. You just like it. You like it because of the pun, though. Broom service. I mean, that's it's pretty good. Joke. It's pretty yeah. good. Broom service is pretty good. <laughs> I like that. It's better than when Orléans. you. Swing- when when games when for you personally when something like each year do you try to collect all winners or when do you decide to jump in on on one of these games? No, I mean if if a game is sort of up my alley, then I will you know be excited about it. I think it's it's interesting to see what like last year the winner was um, Camel Up, 
which is this racing game for the for the regular Spiel des Jahres. But the Kenner Spiel was a game called Istanbul, which I talked about on the show. Uh, that game really sounded like something I would like, and it, it turned out to be something I did like a lot. Um, so it, usually, you know, it, it highlights supposedly the best of the best, but oftentimes the games that I like the most aren't even nominated. So it's become a very uh, controversial award in a lot of ways because there's so few nominees and so many games that are very popular get ignored. And a lot of these games, like um, Machi Koro came out in 2012. So it's in Japan and it's, you know, it was nominated for the 2015 award. So there's a lot of weird rules, but it is a very prestigious award and it has highlighted some of the best games of all time. Um, a game that comes up it sounds a lot. Like... Go ahead. What does it sound like? That's the game that I comes said... up a lot on our show, uh, people in the last few episodes have, have mentioned a lot. Hanabi uh, was the 2012 winner of the Spiel des Jahres. So there's, you know, it's, it's, they pick good games most of the time. I was going to say, it sounds like winning the award is the most dangerous game of all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cold, uh, all right, guys. Cold, let, I was going to say, Colt Express sounds actually pretty cool, uh, and it sounds like it might be a worthy winner. I don't know. Uh, that sounds like something I'd like to play. Yeah, I, it, it's really, really interesting. If you see pictures of it, it's the kind of thing where you look, that's a board game? It looks more like a diorama than anything else. It's it's really cool. Um. So let's uh, take a second and thank our sponsor before we go any further, and that is Linda. Linda is – I'm just so glad that Linda sponsors this show because I love learning. And Linda is the perfect service for people who are curious, for people who are pl- problem solvers, people who want to make things happen and learn new things. I think learning is, is pretty much my favorite thing to do in the world, and Linda is a great platform for that, it's way better than just searching for things on YouTube. These are professionally made videos from experts in the field who know how to convey information concisely and clearly and do it in a professional way. So you're not searching for some random topic, finding some guy that's talking about a feature that's out of date on an old version of the software you're looking for. No, this is all the most up-to-date, always updated Information that you want, it's all searchable because it's all transcript, transcribed, so you can search the keyword that you want and just go directly to that point in a video and just find the information that you need. And they have so many cool topics from photography, from video production, from just general uh, life information. They've got great stuff on getting into video game design, sound design like uh, like Rob does for a living. There's all kinds of great stuff on uh, 3D Max, Maya. There's HTML5 classes. There's uh, Unity classes. The list goes on and on and on. These are great classes, and if there's anything that you need to learn, I mean, even simple stuff like just learning how to do something specific in Excel or, uh, or you know, creating a, a web page, anything you might need to do, Linda is there for you. And we're going to be there for you. If you give it a try, we're going to give you 10 days to check it out for free, for absolutely free. You get your run of the site, any of the videos you want to watch, you can watch for free. And all you have to do is go to lynda.com slash DLC. That's L-Y-N-D-A dot com slash DLC. You get a 10-day free trial. You can check out anything on the site and see if it's for you. And they know that you heard about it on our show, and that helps us out as well. So lynda.com with a Y slash DLC. lynda.com slash DLC for your 10-day free trial. Check it out and learn something today. Uh, all right, guys. So I, 
you know, there really wasn't a ton of news this week. We hit on the big stuff. Um, there was a uh, another game in, in the long list that was released and had problems that led to the publisher removing it from sale. Uh, that's uh, Final Fantasy XIV on the Mac. Uh, technical issues... With, with regard to the game's system requirements, um, people, I guess they listed a lower system requirement than was actually required, and so people were having all kinds of problems, so they removed it from sale for the Mac, issued an apology, they're issuing refunds, Square Enix is li- issuing refunds. Uh, I mean, we don't have to go into this, it's just another example of this trend. I'm curious, your take, Rob, in from behind the curtain, the other side of the table, of, of you know, inside the developer meeting room. Do you guys talk about this stuff? Is it a concern about delivering broken games? Is it this trend? Is that acknowledged inside companies like yours? Uh, I mean, no one wants to deliver a broken game at all. I mean, it's, 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 that's never anyone's goal. And, you know, a lot of times these things happen and I can't, I can only speak from my own experience. I can't speak to what happened with final fantasy. It seems like it was more or less a typo on systems system specs um but i know for places that i've worked like oftentimes we're playing these games i don't know thousands of times during development and when we get closer to development we have you know tons and tons of qa people playing these games playing these games and we can all play the game over and over and over again and still never experience every single bug or problem that a end user might experience and they're Games are so infinitely complicated now, and there's so many ways and factors that it can break. Things like, oh, the age of your PS4, or like you have it in a cabinet, it's not well ventilated, and so it kind of gets a little overheated, but not enough to break it, but enough to where it's affecting how the memory works. And I mean, there's mm-hmm. just there's so many factors uh, that are like even outside of the control of, of, of game designers and, and companies that it's... It's always a bummer to see this stuff because we were I, I, speaking again from my own experience. We try really hard to put out, you know, the best quality experience we possibly can day one, especially Naughty Dog. I mean, they're they're pretty, pretty darn good about it. Yeah. Uh, interesting comment uh, sent in to DLC feedback at Gmail dot com from uh, listener Tim Casey. He says uh, he's a diehard Nintendo fan. We were talking about Nintendo earlier. And he says he feels like everybody glosses over the fact that they are one of the few companies that consistently release high quality and bug free games. He sees, he feels like every week we're talking about companies releasing glitched games, but Nintendo never seems to get enough credit having never done that in the history of its console. So why do you think that is? What do you think, Christian? Do we not give uh, Nintendo enough credit for releasing games that are actually finished? I think we give Nintendo the proper amount of credit for it. I mean, I think if you were to ask any one that listens to the show, if Nintendo games are of the highest quality, I think everybody kind of knows that. I don't know what else you can do to hold them up to uh, even give them more credit for it. I, I think the glass half empty way to look at it is Nintendo games are oftentimes doing much less complex stuff in terms of their net code. There's no voice chat in Splatoon, Smash Brothers um, for Wii U and 3DS, or at least 3DS, I know for sure. The online was broken, pretty broken for that. Um, For me, I think it was about two weeks. So, I mean, even they have their hiccups, but they're also never at the forefront of technology. They're not releasing. Nintendo's never done Skyrim. So they've never had encountered that type of bug or that type of game that would be 
that vast. But like I said, I think pretty much everyone knows that if it's a Nintendo-made game, it's going to be of the highest quality. So I don't know what else you can do than say, good job, keep it up. Release more of them, maybe? <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess that's the that's the trade-off, right, is that they don't they can't release more of them if they're putting out games of that level of quality. I think that's the that's the the give and take you get is yes, things are often delayed. Yes, things often don't come out in a timely fashion. Yes, there's only f- very few games coming out on their systems, but when those games do come out, they're done, they work, they're awesome, they're really high quality and they're polished. So, you know, I yeah, I think kudos to Nintendo as Tim Casey points out. All right, guys, uh, let's talk about the games we've been playing in a segment we like to call The Playlist. Rob, what's on your playlist this week? Uh, so the thing I've been playing most of immediately, or like as in earlier this morning, uh, Gotham uh, Arkham Knight uh, has been dominating my playlist and um i don't know i i i think it's good but i don't know if it's as good as everyone else thinks i guess kind of (laughs) so no spoilers how far into the story are you if you can do it not spoilery um or what does your percentage bar say maybe i'm really not that far i just finished like i'm a bit past access chemicals i guess so okay there's there's been a certain reveal i guess you could say that has happened I think that's a great hooking point for the game. And I think that there are several more with how it handles um, side quests and the main quest. And, and you know, I, I think at the more you play it, at least for me, the more I play it, the more and more I like it as you start to see what they're doing. And for me, the Batmobile, you, you get used to it. You learn how it handles. You learn, you know, for a game as big and as vast as a game that they're trying to make, I think I'm projecting my thoughts, of course, onto Rocksteady, but it serves as kind of a palate cleanser that allows them to make this larger, bigger game where you're not, you know, taking the same moment of awesome and repeating it for 20 hours. I think that's what they were looking to do by introducing the Batmobile. And then there are some really, really cool story moments in even some of the side quests, or I think the game really grows on you as you spend time in the city. That being said, as I talked about, I think it was last week, I don't think the game is is perfect, but how it really works for me is just getting in and playing it and then kind of creating the suspension of disbelief that I know that this is a video game and like the whole weird narrative that it's all one night and that you destroy this city. <laughs> um and, and all of this stuff kind of being impossible. But once you detach and I call it, you know, like enjoying a season of 24, if you're able to get into that mind frame of like, yeah, there's no way this is really 24 hours, but holy crap, this is fun. And this game play is so tight to me that made it, you know, close to that 10 out of 10 tier for me. Yeah, the uh, in the chat room, we have Mr. Big saying uh, a week later, as bad as the Batmobile is, as insane as the side quests are, the story is so good, it overrides it. I can't remember a big AAA release like this where the thing that everybody keeps talking about is the story. Maybe GTA V. Maybe GTA V is the last example of where the story really was the story <laughs> that – you know, nobody is talking, you know, even other Arkham games, it was never the story that took center stage as far as the the most compelling part of the product. 
it was always the fighting system or the new things you can do with, as Batman or the fun detective mode and all that. All the mechanics is what Rocksteady had nailed. And I don't even think any of the Arkham games – the story is okay, but it kind of goes off the rails certainly in, in the first one. Uh, I, I just think that's very impressive that the most compelling part of the game for people is, is this cool Batman story. Have that, you – sorry. Have you finished the chemical plant, Jeff? No. So, Rob, I don't know how far you are, um, but what they do with that, I think, is is one of the coolest things. And there's been slight similarities to stories told like that from that in comic books as well. But did I mean when you when that happened again? I'm, I know I'm speaking vague. I'm sorry, everyone, but I think it's worth not spoiling. I mean, did that 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 hit me like that was awesome. Did that I guess, want to uh, keep you going through the story? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think that that moment was really, really pretty cool. And actually, as I've been playing, the way the story is sort of dribbled out, even encompassing the side missions, like, I really like how this world feels compared to other similar games. Like, rather than opening the minimap and seeing, oh, there's 80 bajillion things you do, you just kind of go towards the next story mission and maybe get distracted by something because you know there's other things you need to do like rescue firefighters and you know solve a murder mystery whatever it is but i've really organic i know hey, this is probably a cheesy way to say it, but i've organically come across most of these things and it feels really good uh i really really like that part of the game um like coming across a firefighter or or one of the the strung up bodies and having yeah. that detective moment that stuff's awesome I mean, even if you select those missions, uh, go into your, you know, mission selector and select the mission, it doesn't always give you a pinpoint of where it is. You know, Alfred will say something like, well, there's smoke, there's fire, or, you know, um, we, we have new intel and the intel suggests that this person has been known to frequent this part of the city. But I think they do a really cool thing where it's their hashtag, be the Batman. And then Jeff, to try to get you to play it more, get past that point. There was a point, again, no, I will not say what happened. This would be so vague, but I was playing late last night, and one of, in my opinion, the coolest things I've ever seen in video games happened in a story mission that when it happened, and, and visually how they told it, not the, the thing itself, but visually how they told it and how they handled it in this world with your character in that moment blew me away incredible wow. there are little moments like that that Dang elevate it. this game past asylum i don't want to i got i'm trying to finish witcher 3 i got lots <laughs> of dailies to do i'll spoil it for you when we're done with the show if you like but it's no awesome. i, I want to it'd be fun i think for me to play it and then us to have an actual spoiler version on, on this show of us uh, you know getting really into it um but i do want to point out that uh z-sync x yes obviously i'm talking about what, what game has been lauded for its story and he says uh dude uh, there's a naughty guy in the room it's last of us so yes obviously I, that was the glaring one that i forgot to mention <laughs> uh, a game that was uh definitely the story was what people were talking about um but i think it's cool that a batman game is 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 like that that the people are talking about the delivery of the story i wish i wish that was more the norm than than the the surprise that that the mechanics are less interesting than are just a delivery device for this cool narrative, especially in these triple a, you know, start to finish narrative games. Rob, Obviously you guys you? feel that way too. Uh, Naughty dog. That's kind of sort of your trademark is, you know, uncharted is like that. 
Uh, Last of Us is like that. It's it's all about creating a narrative and characters that are compelling and interesting start to finish. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, we have some some of the best talents in terms of writing. Neil Neil Druckmann is unbelievable. I mean, the dude's won two Writers Guild Awards for video games. Like that's amazing. <laughs> that's that's obviously a, a big focus here. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I I'm always pulled towards uh, games that that incorporate a lot of story like that. It's probably why I'm not into Hots. <laughs> <laughs> Rob, what um, was your what, what's your favorite season in The Last of Us? I, I like winter. I think winter is probably my favorite. But really, I think my entire favorite Last of Us anything is definitely the DLC Left Behind. I think that just nailed everything on like all cylinders. Everything that's good about the game that it has <laughs> in in a very small concentrated dose. So, word cool, yeah. So you guys feel like this, you know, they keep saying this Arkham game is the last Arkham game. It completes the, the story. Are you guys cool with that? Do you want to see more Arkham stuff? Or do you want to see more Batman stuff? What? How do you feel about this completing the, the circle? I think maybe I, once I beat the game, I'll have a better idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I am a-okay with it. It gives them freedom to do story things that, I think they otherwise maybe wouldn't do because it would put them in a weird place. I like to think that this game story was envisioned um, as they were concepting and creating the story in City. Um, If not, kudos to them to making it feel that way. And I love these Arkham games, but if there is another Batman game, I'm ready for something different. I'm ready for something lighter. Like, let's have something else fun or let's have a a Flash game that's like... um, you know, borrows heavily maybe from what's her name, the the light girl and in infamous um, second son. I think is it shows how a flash game could be done well. Um, right. Neon green, lady, yeah, a Green Arrow game. Like, there's so many other DC characters I would love to see. Um, a Martian Manhunter. Oh, oh, what a game! Right, that'd be amazing. You could do anything. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this game. Th- th- yes, I'm a okay with this being the last Arkham game. Uh, you could give me that JLA game right after this, especially because uh, this isn't really a spoiler, but there are gameplay mechanics when you have like another character like Nightwing or Catwoman or another person with you. And there's gameplay mechanics that I think are probably building blocks for a JLA game where you're doing combo attacks with other characters and things. And it's awesome. I just want to I just want a new environment i know i keep harping on that week after week but i'm just so sick of nighttime in gotham city i really am it just feels so i just don't want to be there that's why i don't want to fire it up when i think of all the things i want to play i want to be in the witcher world even though it's dreary and there's people hanging from nooses all over the all over everywhere uh i still like it because there's awesome sunsets and cool you know environments and things change now i'm in the snow and now i'm you know at the lake and all this cool stuff and it just feels like is more dark gothicy Gotham. I don't know. Well, spoiler I'm, alert: the last third of Arkham Knight, you're Bruce Wayne in the morning. <laughs> Bruce Wayne in the morning, just constantly <laughs> waking up, just getting tea from Alfred. That's Stretching. the entire it, last third. It becomes we fit. You just stretch and do your yoga <laughs> and prepare. <laughs> I love it. Um, well, there was a big uh, Here's of the Storm release this week, uh, and I'm going to talk about it. So if you don't want to hear me talk about Heroes of the Storm, too bad, or fast forward. Uh, but Eternal Conflict came out this week, and it's sort of this new initiative that Blizzard's doing with uh, putting out 
a grouping of content content around a theme that is one of their games. So, you know, Heroes of the Storm is a mishmash of mash em up of all of the Blizzard properties. This this sort of expansion, I guess you could kind of term it, is themed around Diablo. So there's a new Diablo hero, the Butcher, and there's a new map. New maps come out uh, much less frequently than new heroes. And this new map, I think, immediately vaulted to the top of my favorite maps in the game. It is a half heaven half hell map from the diablo universe and you don't know which side you're going to start on which is really cool the art is spectacular i think it's so such a beautiful map and the mechanic the central mechanic of the map is really really cool it leads to these very intense very concentrated brawls in the center of the map that are it feels like you're in this confined space with all this chaos happening around you it's a much more intense brawl than I think any of the other maps in gender because there's just sort of fewer things to be doing at any given time. So basically, at a certain point in the match, uh, two immortals, these giant you know, demon and angel, will spawn at one of two random points across from each other in the center of the map. So it's sort of like a cross, if you imagine, <clears throat> a plus sign. And at any of the ends of the points of the plus sign, these two... Uh, uh, immortals can spawn and then they start sort of fighting each other and then you as a team rush to the center and you e- either attack the enemy's immortal or defend yours or sort of have a combination of the two and it is just crazy because the immortals are laying down these things on the ground that will stun you if you stand in them these little circles when they're smashing the ground so you're having these big fights in the middle of this chaos that can cause stuns from the immortals themselves and you're trying to defend your immortal and attack their immortal. It is so fun and so kinetic and so crazy. Uh, it's a really different feel than any of the other maps that are currently available. And they actually reduce the number of potential maps in both quick match and hero league and team league. Um, so that you actually get the uh, eternal conflict map much more frequently, but I'm having a blast with it. I haven't really played too much of the butcher hero, but he has some really cool things. He can drive a stake into the ground and latch one of the uh, enemy heroes to it. So you're kind of chained to one spot and a, and a sitting duck for some of your some of your uh, your teammates to attack. Uh, that's one of his big heroic abilities. Uh, his other is like creates this big flaming gust from the ground, this grate of fire that erupts beneath him. And he has a charging stun, so he can charge from a great distance away and hit an enemy and stun them. Uh, but he is a an assassin, so he's real squishy and can go down really quick. But, um, man, it's such really cool content. And they also introduced this new concept of these side quests that happen before the match even starts where you can kill a little treasure goblin and get gold. So they're really doing some innovative, cool stuff as usual. And I still love the game with my whole heart, even though I know people are sick of hearing me talk about it. But Have you thought okay. about singing about it? Ooh, great idea. <laughs> <laughs> I love heroes of the storm. Yeah, something like that. Rob, can you use any of that? Mm. <laughs> we might need to work on that a little bit more. Damn it, Nate. <laughs> oh. Um, let's transition now to uh, a new segment I'm calling Q's and A's. Uh, again, we're we're doing much more listener involvement, uh, or at least we're trying to, because I think that's what you guys would like to hear. It's certainly something we would like very much. Got a cool cue. This week's cue uh, comes from uh, Colin. He says uh, that he loves the podcast 
and he's curious what our opinions are on comedy in gaming. How do you think comedy is better executed? Dialogue, a la Double Finds Games, Borderlands, and Portal, or environmental comedy like the worlds of Fallout or Sunset Overdrive? Also, do you think a AAA comedy game that has an original IP could ever exist in the gaming space today? Also, he wants Christian to come to Portland, Oregon and perform live comedy for him. So get on that, Christian. I'll do a house show just for you. Let me know. Uh, Rob, the Uncharted games always have wry quips. Uh, They're packed full of of clever writing, but I don't think anybody would call them comedy per se. Mm -hmm. Um, What do you think about comedy and gaming? Do you want more of it? Uh, I feel like that's such a hard game, but I feel like Telltale is definitely kind of the studio to do it if there was one. Uh, I definitely think in games it's got to be dialogue-driven. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, it's... it's. I don't know how you make a game out of it, though, aside from making it like sort of a choose-your-own-adventure sort of thing. Well, um, lots of lots of comments in the chat room. There's... Um... Mr. Big said, did anyone play Massive Chalice, which I did and I talked about on the show extensively. I I really love that game. Very funny dialogue. But again, it's sort of just voiceover jokes, which is certainly a way to go. Uh, And uh, ZSync X says, comedy is better told through mechanics when possible, which I'm I'm surprised to hear because I think the, the way we get them now mostly is in those sort of VO moments. Like I think Portal is a great example of, of really, really genuinely funny uh, moments that are just kind of a side dialogue that's going on that doesn't really affect what you're doing. But there used to be true comedies, true genre comedies in gaming back when uh, there were point-and-click adventure games, the Space Quest games and the Leisure Suit Larry games uh, made by the two guys from Andromeda for Space Quest. Um, th- those were genuinely trying to be the equivalent of a movie comedy in the video game space. But we don't really have that anymore, although King's Quest is coming, so maybe that will be more like that. What do you think, Christian? Well, South Park, I think, is one of the best recent examples. Stick of Truth and now Mm. um, Butthole Fractured or whatever. They're clever. I mean, they already have a joke in the name, right? Um, And I think to say, oh, well, now it just comes across in the VO. Fractured Fractured, yeah, Fractured Butthole. Um, It used to come across... Now it's only really in VO, but we used to have it in these text-based adventures, these whole comedy genre as well. Those text-based adventures just had it in the quote-unquote VO too. It's just the technology for those video games didn't have VO, right? I mean, it wasn't, there weren't funny mechanics in those games. It was pointing and clicking. Um, I, I think the hard part about successfully really nailing comedy in games is that so much of comedy, in my opinion, is timing. And so kind of like Rob was talking about for the Jeep where they need to have the sound going for as the player is revving the engine and and doing this, that, or the other, and it's not just a drive-by or a pull-up or whatever, is in comedy, if let's say you make Half-Life 2 the comedy and in the middle of someone's speech, you as Gordon Freeman walk away and you miss the punchline, you're like, well, that wasn't funny. Or you get bored because you want to skip the cutscene because you want to go do whatever the thing is that you're doing or you look away for a minute. Um, and, and you miss the setup and the punchline doesn't make sense. But I think games are doing it, and I think people unfairly overlook the comedy in games. Double Fine has been doing a great job. Telltale does a good job. South Park is is phenomenal. Uncharted uh, has funny you know quips and moments and it, where it goes for I think it's going for the type of comedy it's going for. It is kind of dad jokey at times. 
Um, Last of Us had a dumb joke book in it. And the comedy, in my opinion, came from Joel's reaction to those comedy jokes, those jokey jokes at dark moments. Um, Portal was certainly very funny. Um, and, and in terms of like mechanics or Fallout or Sunset Overdrive, I'm sorry, like background jokes being in games. That again is is the hard part about that is seeing that at the right moment. I feel like that is, um, there was, I think it was a split cider article, which if you don't, it's a comedy website talking about the rise of, um, oh, I forget what they called it, but it's like a reference comedy. And those types of jokes only work typically if you know what it is, right? Like if you were real into the warp tour, uh, growing up in the 90s and early 2000s, I bet a lot of the stuff in Sunset Overdrive hit home for you. If you were never part of that scene, I don't think you saw a lot of that as funny and it was just grating. Or um, if you're playing The Simpsons, what's the donut game that they have? If you're not a big fan of The Simpsons, a hardcore fan of The Simpsons, a lot of those jokes go over your head. So it's this real, it's delicate, whereas shooting something or completing a puzzle is the same to everyone comedy is always subjective except for the fact that you should buy my comedy album on itunes <laughs> i don't I, I take issue with you about saying that the stuff you were doing in space quest or leisure suit larry or um um whatchamacallit the uh pirate game um my god my brain doesn't work uh monkey island yeah um that that was just sort of the equivalent of just voiceover. I mean, I think what you were doing in those games, what your character was doing was was funny, was legitimately funny. The the dialogue certainly was funny, but you were actually, you know, in the old uh, Hitchhiker's Hide to the Galaxy game, I had to stick a Babelfish in my ear, right? In, in uh, Leisure Suit Larry, I had to go buy a prophylactic from a convenience store, and it was an awkward moment that I had to do as a as a character in the game in space quest i was doing all kinds of wacky weird things they were clearly comic genre games they weren't action games that had you know comedic voiceover um somebody in the chat room brought up one of my favorite game series of all time which is no one lives forever those games were beautifully funny really wonderfully funny uh but most of the time it was because you were sneaking up in a first person shooter and you could overhear the henchman having a ridiculous conversation. I just sit there for 10 minutes listening to henchmen because it was so well written and so well delivered, but the game itself wasn't necessarily a comedy. It was an action game that had comedic voiceover. And I think there is room to mine actual comedic genre games and they don't necessarily have to be adventure games. I think there's a way to, you know, Octodad is something else. Somebody in the chat room brought up. That's a game that the the premise itself is ridiculous. The premise itself is comedic. Um, I think there's room for that. I don't think everything we do has to be grim and actiony and or even uh, actiony and flip. You know, it doesn't have to just be comedic because our uh, our hero is clever. Although I love that. You know, I love that in Uncharted and other games where our hero is is fun to be around. That makes those action games more palatable and much more entertaining for me. But I would love to see games where the central mechanic of what you're doing is funny. You're, you are creating humor by your interaction. Um, I, I would like to see that embraced more often. It, as you say, Christian, it's hard to do. It's not easy because comedy is hard. But um, what's the little quote? Dying is easy. Comedy is hard. Um, yeah. What do you think, Rob? Are you... Uh, I Did think you, you like bring to up see more games like that. 
Yeah, I definitely would. But I think you bring up a good point with Octodad. It also sparks memory like I Am Bread and uh, and Surgeon yeah. Simulator. Like those are definitely funny based totally purely on mechanics because they're so ridiculous. Or goat, um, the goat. What's the goat game? Goat Simulator? Goat Simulator, yeah. Yeah. So there's, the, yeah, there's definitely room. And I, I it's funny because I almost get more joy watching somebody else play those. It's almost like games used as a prop in a way. Like watching a, a, a Twitch streamer or YouTuber playing I Am Bread and getting, you know, screaming mad at the controls as he rolls his, uh, you know, piece of bread through ants and glass and things and up cabinet walls right. and things. Uh, that's certainly something I think is that's valid. It's like a lot of these games can be used for comedy, but like through someone else, through someone else's interpretation. I think the if the cue from Colin is about comedy and gaming. I think the A that we've come up with is that there's a lot of comic games. They're right now being made. I think we came up with this great list of really funny games from South Park to I Am Bread that are uh, that are being put out right now and are genuinely funny. Um, somebody else in the chat room brought up the Saints Row games. Certainly not my sense of humor, but for others, they were. it was very funny. Uh, I mean, I guess there were some parts that made me laugh in Saints Row. Um, driving my cart uh, with some crazy dude be- pulling it with a in a uh, full on S and M garb uh, while I'm throwing firecrackers and trying to drive my convertible with a white tiger in the background or in the back where I had to pet the tiger as I was driving. I guess those are some funny comedic concepts too. So there are and Broforce another one. So people are coming up with a great list of of comedic games. I guess it's not as underrepresented as maybe we might at first blush think. But thanks for the question, Colin. And again, you can send in your questions dlcfeedback at gmail dot com. Uh, all right, dudes, let's uh, carve out a little bit of tabletop time. Right now, right now. Rob Kreckle, I know that you are a board gamer because I have board gamed with you uh, yes. in the past. So uh, what uh, what board game would you like to talk about? So um, Carcassonne is is a favorite of mine, and it's one of the only like non-American uh, board games that I own personally. I, we don't have a ton of space in my, in my house, and uh, my wife is not super into board games, but... I did get her to play Carcassonne and she really, really enjoyed it. And so occasionally we pull that out and we just did recently when we had a little time over the weekend and we played a couple rounds. Uh, it's just it's a classic. It's really good. Um, and I we have like the basic edition, so it's not it doesn't have any of the crazy expansions. It's just sort of the, the core. Um, it's it's a really good game that I, I don't I don't think I, I always enjoy no matter what platform, like the actual physical you know, on the table, but also the iPhone app version or the Xbox Live version, they're all, they're all good. Yeah, I think that certainly if you were going to make a Mount Rushmore of, of designer board games, Carcassonne would be on it um, with, you know, Settlers of Catan and, and a few others. There's, it, it is a uh, massive, massive hit. It's a game that is available everywhere. You can get that game at like Toys R Us and Target and places that you can't really find other designer board games. And like you said, it's got myriad expansions. There are so many different versions of Carcassonne to be had, but the the base game is really, really fun. You're laying down those tiles, you're creating your little tableau of city that's interconnected, and and uh, 
placing your people on it in, in interesting ways. It also has a really excellent iPad edition. If anybody has uh, the desire to try it, but don't, don't want to, you know, invest in the the board game or have a place to set up the board game, you can get it for your iPad. I think on Android as well, although I'm not certain. Uh, and it's a really, really well done implementation uh, of Carcassonne, which is a great one. Have you ever tried that one, Christian? Have you ever played Carcassonne? I have, but it's, uh, many years ago, my little brother is a big fan. Yeah, great game. Uh, it's, I, had, I feel I feel like it scales well too. Like you can play it two player, but you can also play it uh, with more, much more than that, depending on how many of uh, the expansions you have. Yes, yes, I I agree. Um, I had a chance to play a new game from Tasty Minstrel Games uh, this week. It's relatively new. It came out last year. New to me, certainly. It's called Flip City. And it's another in these uh, this trend that's been happening in the last couple of years of these real small micro games uh, that are affordable and really portable and easy to bring out anywhere, uh, which is one of the reasons why I'm I'm so jazzed about it. Um, this is kind of miniature Sim City, I guess, but it, you know it has this Sim City theme. It's not super strong. It's more like a really accessible deck building game. So deck building games became popular several years ago after the release of Dominion, which was the first deck building game, uh, which isn't the same as a sort of building your deck in a uh, trading card game like like Magic the Gathering or something. This is a game, these are games where you actually build your deck through the course of playing the game rather than before the game starts. And in games like Dominion, where you're deck building through the uh, action of the game. Most of the time you, you build your hand or you build your deck and then you draw a hand from that deck and then you decide what to do by looking at your hand and playing cards out of your hand and trying to buy other cards to put into your deck uh, using the in-game mechanics and so, you know, change the the constitution of your deck to make it more more favorable to you. Well, Flip City kind of removes the all the decision making of looking at your hand in in favor of making it much more simple and much more accessible, in my opinion. Uh, it and it replaces that decision making with a sort of push your luck decision making. So you have this hand of of city buildings, and you're playing them down in front of you to create your little city tableau in front of you, but. And they're double-sided, so certain buildings can transform into other buildings by paying a fee, by flipping them. Uh, but you, you're, you have your deck of cards in your hand, and you're not able to look at them. You're only able to decide whether to play the card on top or not. You can play the card on top in front of you into your city tableau for free, but you don't. You, but once you play it, that's the only card that you you can play is the next one on top. So you're constantly deciding, am I going to keep going? Because certain cards have little unhappy faces, which represent the unhappiness of the people in your city. And once you have too many cards in front of you that are unhappy, then you bust and everything you've played that round gets eliminated, gets pushed off into your discard pile, and you don't get any of the benefits of having played it. So it's this constant push and pull, this push your luck, of there are certain cards that if they come up on the top of your deck, they force you to play them and they have unhappiness. So you're constantly testing yourself, well, can I keep going or is the next card going to be 
the one that has unhappiness and it forces me to play and then it causes me to bust. And you're buying cards that are from the central store so you can you know, add more buildings into your deck and change your constitution. And then also deciding whether or not you want to pay to flip cards onto a more powerful side or flip them back to create some sort of effect. It's really fun. I played it two players with my wife. Uh, she liked it. I liked it. It's very accessible. It's the kind of game that's easy to explain and uh, it it streamlines that deck building process because again your only decision at any given time when you're playing from your hand is am I going to play this one card or am I not am I going to stop and then once you stop you can you know count up how many dollars you've got and whether you want to spend that on new buildings or you want to spend that on flipping buildings to a more powerful side Uh, I got flip city go ahead I got anxious listening to you describe that though like that to me Oh man, I don't know. It, it's weird because video games feel that way too. Sometimes, what is it like decision paralysis or whatever? Where like, Analysis how do you paralysis? Yeah, yeah. How how like, what's your strategy? Like, how would you how would you quickly play this game? I would sit there and be like, nah, crap. Nah. I mean, or my flip side of that is the way I deal with it is just well, who cares? <laughs> like, I'm screwed either way. Gonna do this one. Doesn't matter. Nothing matters. Uh, B. The answer is B. Here we go. Well, I think there's a lot of people who play these push-your-luck games. There's a lot of really cool push-your-luck games. Uh, one of my favorites is a game called Ink and Gold, which is a game where you keep going deeper and deeper into this cavern trying to get more stuff uh, before you have to back out. And you keep going, well, I hope I don't hit a monster. hope I don't hit a monster. Oh, there's really cool stuff. I can get more stuff. And then I'll... it's the kind of game where I tend to almost always push my luck too far and bust. Uh, but I think the the mechanics of Flip City are different because – even when you haven't busted yet and you've only done a few things, you still get cool stuff. It's it's not um, – you can still change the constitution of your deck so that it reduces the potential of you busting. And you really end up getting pretty powerful by the end of the game with a very big, robust deck. And there's so few components to this game, it makes it really portable and really easy to play. So I, I totally understand your worry there. And it's certainly the the hook for these kinds of games is feeling like – <laughs> oh my god! I'm totally gonna bust. I might as well just keep pushing it, pushing it, pushing it until it happens. But it's um, you know, I I think this one mitigates that problem a little bit because even when you put down just one card and it's one dollar, you can flip one of the cards that forces you to put it down. You can flip that over to its other side by just paying one dollar, and now it's become a new card that doesn't force you to do that. So you know, even when you have only done a few things on your turn. You still have a lot of options. It's cool. Cool. So again, that's called Flip City, and it is uh, from Tasty Minstrel Games, and it's um, it's pretty inexpensive. I think it's less than twenty bucks, um, and it can play one to four players. Uh, you can yeah, you can play it solo. You can play it as a solitaire game if you want. I haven't tried it like that, but uh, it's one of those games that went over well with my wife. I think Rob, you and I were you were you were mentioning that too. Like a lot of the determining factor on whether I'm going to buy something is like, is my wife going to dig this? Because yeah. I don't, I'm not around enough people to play things. I'm around her all the time. <laughs> and if you want to play board games, it better be something that she's into. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It makes me be able to play it more often. So mm-hmm. I'm digging flip city. All right. Um, let's uh, move on. We got uh, a parting gift coming up. That's going to keep you occupied into next week. 
But before that, I want to thank Rob for stepping in and uh, being awesome on this episode. We love having you, dude. Where can people keep up with uh, your stuff this week? Dude, I, I no problem at all. I'm very excited that uh, I finally got to be on the show. Uh, you can keep up with me on Twitter. It's probably the best place. It's at Rob Kreckel, R-O-B-K-R-E-K-E-L. Uh, and uh, yeah, keep it, keep it locked for uh, more Uncharted 4 stuff, and uh, hopefully everyone enjoys it. What did you guys think of the uh, of the the reveal of the full trailer? Were you guys kind of sitting around on, on, during that Twitch, uh, seeing the reaction of people, or it must have been very very positive moment at the studio? Oh yeah, I mean we we all were so so excited for people to see it and see it on the floor at E three. It's not like we just wanted everyone to see it right away, you know. Like we just mm-hmm. are excited to show people what we're working on, and and we can't wait to to show people more, you know. Yeah, I mean, I was so impressed with that. I just, I can't wait for that game now, man. It, it, that, it, as I kept saying to everybody who would listen, it's one of the best action sequences I've ever seen, and uh, I just can't wait to see more of the game. It's, well, it's so good. Well, I guess you can Christian, help. You can wait by playing Uncharted One, Two, and Three Remastered, coming out this summer for the PlayStation Four. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Hear all those glorious sounds on your PS4 that uh, that Rob worked on in the previous games. Oh, what a tease. Oh, I'm going to buy that. Dang it. Um, <laughs> uh, what, yeah, sorry, you had a question, Jeff. Sorry, I wasn't about the pink. I was saying, what are you up to this week, Mr. Spicer? Oh, this week is Improv versus Stand Up Thursday at UCB if you are in Los Angeles. Um, also coming up, I think the ticketing link just went live, but a show I'm super excited for, July 28th at Nerd Melt in Los Angeles. The wonderful people over there. Um, they do this show called An Evening With, and they uh, said, hey, we want to do an evening with you, Christian. And to me, the best evening is an evening with friends and awesome, awesome people. So it is myself, uh, one Jeff Kanata, and one Anthony what? Carboni. That's me. Mm-hmm. Doing another live, We Have Concerns. Then um, Kyle Kinane is going to be there, Dean Del Rey, and Brenton Biddlecombe, and it's July 28th at nerd melt is going to be awesome and um portland no but i will be in seattle at the comedy underground around pax so that's only a two-hour drive right you can do that drive that's easy it's easy and um that's like portland before there was portland that's like uh, <laughs> it's pre-portland yeah. yeah yeah uh what about you sir uh you still have concerns about things I do, man. I'm very excited about that July 28th show that people can come to. What's the what's the what's the uh, door fee for that? It's like five bucks or something really cheap. It's all ages, awesome. and uh, yeah, it should be fun. All ages. So are we can we not are we not supposed to? Are we supposed no, to you can, best behavior. No, no, you can do whatever you want. I'm saying like a lot of comedy clubs are 21 and up. This is 18, 15. You know, whatever. But no. Yeah. Uh, also, um, the rival. Sl- Logan, for your show, we have concerns is team dad jokes or no dad jokes. Like, I listened to enough of the show to know that uh, you guys could get as dirty as you want to be and you'd still be PG-13. Is that so? I think I feel like we drop F-bombs way often in that show. Way more often than we should. (laughs) Inside scoop. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I'm really excited. I hope people that listen to the show will check us out there. Um, I also... I don't know if I should say anything yet because it's certainly not official, but we submitted a panel for PAX for DLC and for We Have Concerns. Um, so hopefully we'll hear soon about whether we can do that. I hope people are would be interested in seeing us live uh, with a with a, a DLC panel at PAX. Uh, we submitted one, so crossing our fingers that that will happen. 
Um, but yeah, come out July 28th if you're in the LA area. Come see us. It was a really fun. We've only done one live show previously, and it was really, really fun. Um, so check that out. Or listen to the show normally. That's at wehaveconcerns.com. Uh, we also have uh, the Slash Filmcast doing Slash Filmcast stuff. We're going to talk about Terminator Genesis tonight, so that should be up <laughs> tomorrow. Uh, and then we're going to... Huh? You laughing? About yeah, sorry. I liked it. I liked oh, it. And you hated... Oh, okay. Go I ahead. I liked it. Go ahead. Um, yeah, it's not the best movie ever, but I liked it. Here, my, here are more of my thoughts. Slash Filmcast. Dot com. Uh, also, you can follow me at Jeff Kanata on the Twitters. Uh, and I have a big announcement coming as my parting gift. Big announcement! Woo! So that'll be fun. Uh, let's get to that now, guys. It's parting gift time. Hey, give us a suggestion. Rob, do you have a suggestion to get folks through their week? I do. Uh, a pretty new comic book that actually uh, my best friend in the world, Frank Barberi, writes. Uh, it's called Broken World. It's from uh, Boom Studios. It just started. They're on issue two uh, as of this Wednesday. And the the brief synopsis is basically that it's it's the end of the world. Uh, we know an extinction-level event is going to happen. Basically, a meteor is days away from uh, impacting Earth. And Basically, everyone on the planet has been more or less cleared to to leave, um, you know, on these government ex- escape pods, uh, except for this this one woman. Her family's been cleared, but she has been denied due to some uh, shadiness in her past. And the comic is all about her sort of like need, desire and, uh, you know, trying to find the ways to fake her way uh, in order to leave with her family. Um it's it's pretty awesome. The art is beautiful. It's done by uh, Chris, uh, Christopher Peterson, uh, and it's just a it's a cool comic with a great concept. And um, Frank's like, aside from being one of my best friends, he's like one one of the hottest writers in comics right now. He's writing Howling Commandos for Marvel's new launch. Uh, he writes his own uh, creator own book on Image called Five Ghosts, uh, and Broken World is is one of his new books. So uh, jump on board when it's early. Awesome. That does sound cool. Christian, what about you? What do you got? Keeping the comic train rolling. I threw out some Batman graphic novels last week, this week. Um, I look at it every time I sit in here and do the show, and I don't know how to say the, the name right. Is it Tashin? T-A-S-C-H-E-N? They do incredible, big, big, and I mean big books. It's an awesome DC one. Um, but they have a 75 Years of Marvel book out um, more recently. It's uh, written by Roy Thomas, and he was a... Um, editor, Marvel editor, editor-in-chief, I think in the 70s, and an editor for a longer, so well-versed in the subject. I mean, this book is is huge, and uh, it's really, really great. Awkward as heck to read, but if you're a Marvel zombie, it's worth checking out. Also, it's, yes, it's expensive. I received it as a gift, and it was a great gift, so maybe hint at that uh, if you have a birthday coming up and you're a Marvel zombie. It's beautiful and really cool, and it is 75 years of Marvel. Speaking of comics, I'll keep the comics train rolling on. Guess what, guys? I'm hosting a panel at San Diego Comic-Con. This is the week of San Diego Comic-Con. This weekend, San Diego Comic-Con. I'm hosting a panel. I'm hosting the Marvel Heroes panel. Uh, So I would love people to come out and say hi. If you're going to be at Comic-Con and uh, you're interested in the Marvel Heroes video game or you just want to come and say hi to me, I will be there hosting the panel. I'll hang out afterwards and and say hi to anybody that wants to come up and do so. Uh, I'm really excited about it. The folks at 
at um, Gazillion asked me to uh, host their panel, and I'm thrilled to be doing it. So um, come check it out. It's Friday night of Comic-Con at 6 p.m., I believe, but you should check your schedule because I'm not not the official word on things. But check your schedule for the Marvel Heroes panel. I believe my name should be there in the description, but uh, either way, uh, or follow me on Twitter. I'll be tweeting about it as well. But it should be really fun. I think the, the, their whole design team is going to be there talking about stuff and revealing new cool things for that free-to-play uh, Diablo-style uh, loot game called Marvel Heroes. Uh, so I hope to see you guys at San Diego Comic-Con. I'm, uh, I'm tired already just thinking about <laughs> it. Uh, Comic-Con is tiring, but I'm excited. I'll be there. Uh, next week, I think we're going to have Andrea Renee on. She's going to be at Comic-Con as well. We'll be talking a little Comic-Con stuff. Um, but... I also want to say thank you to everybody that responded and and went to our subreddit over there at 5x5dlc.reddit.com and and checked out our official thread for uh, guest suggestions. Uh, we're trying to start a new initiative of having a bunch of folks on that have never been on before. So we're trying to expand our um, our roster. This week, of course, Rob's first appearance. We're excited about that. But we're going to have more unique, interesting guests, and a lot of those are coming from your suggestions. So keep them coming. Uh, I think we're going to have some really cool guests in the upcoming weeks, uh, some cool surprises of people who have already responded positively. So uh, that's very exciting for us. Thank you guys for all your support. Thanks to all the folks in the chat room. Thanks to Rob Kreckle and Christian Spicer. Thanks to all the folks at 5 by 5 And thanks to you for listening. We really appreciate it. Why not give us a little review on the iTunes? That helps out. Five stars is always appreciated on your method of listening choice. Uh, we'll see you next week, guys. Until then... Think about what you put out into the world. Make it a better place.